Hi, this is Fat Mike from NoFX. Hi, I'm actress Ann Mahoney. Hey, friends, this is Hey Billy Jim. Hi, this is Kyle Dunbar from Ink Master, season three and four. Hey, this is Shout Out Joe Frog. Hey, everyone, this is Jessica Kiernan. Hey, it's Ryan. I'm Molly, and we're from Mother Mother. Hey, it's Shelby Chong, and I'm a Canadian from Vancouver. Yo, yo, what's up? This is me, DMC, and the place to be right here listening to the Toddcast Podcast. The Toddcast Podcast is brought to you by Maple Ridge Hyundai, part of a Cot Auto Group. We sell cars. Now, here's your host, Todd Hancock. How happy are you with your current job? And if you're not happy, are you going to do something about it? If I wasn't in broadcasting and podcasting, I did terrestrial radio in British Columbia for almost 20 years, 15 in Vancouver. The rest kind of spread out all over the province, Smithers, Prince George, Victoria. I'd be working my tail off otherwise to be an executive chef without question. I absolutely love cooking for whatever reason. It just relaxes me. I reached out to executive chef Joe Sasto. You're going to know this guy as a finalist of Top Chef. And I said, look, would you be a, a guest of the podcast? I'm a big fan. I love your work. And Great to talk to an elite chef like that. You can get some advice, talk shop, and that kind of thing. Well, you're going to hear some of that conversation this week. Pro golfer, model, and golf channel host Blair O'Neill is a guest as well. She's super cool. Had a great conversation with her. And this week's musical guest is Jesse Kinch. You're going to hear some of that interview in like a minute or two. My name is Todd Hancock. Thank you so much for joining us. You could be on any podcast and yet you're here with us. And of course, I appreciate that. If you like what you're about to hear, please tell your friends about what we're doing. You can subscribe, uh, get the podcast sent to your phone or computer or whatever weekly. iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. Uh, and uh, rate the podcast as well. That does help out with search results and stuff. Uh, Coming up in just a few minutes in Stop Me, if you've heard this before, Bad Blood and Sons of Anarchy actor Kim Coates talks about the original Hellboy and how that could be the best superhero movie of all time. It probably is. It's brought to you by Protec Welding, steel fabrication on the North Shore here in Vancouver. You can find them online at protecwelding.com. First, our first guest of three, as we always do, three guests a week. This week's musical guest is the winner of ABC's rising star, Jesse Kinch. That's brought to you by the Railway Stage and Beer Cafe, 579 Dunsmuir, downtown Vancouver. Jesse was born in 1994. At the age of 11, he says he found his voice, started to sing. Wasn't long after that that he was writing songs on his own, and amazingly, at the age of 14, Jesse was picked to play the lead role of Eddie Money's musical, Two Tickets to Paradise. Months of rehearsals, suddenly he's singing 14 songs a night with no understudy. Cue the TV appearances, rave reviews. You've seen Jesse perform a couple songs on Dancing with the Stars in 2014. That's the year that Jesse won the ABC's Rising Star. Shortly after that, his hard work pays off. He's awarded a recording contract with Capitol Records, but then they part ways due to creative differences. In June 2018, Jesse's debut album was released. A great little talk with an up-and-coming singer-songwriter. You can hear that full conversation right now at our iTunes podcast page. Simple search of Toddcast Podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud as well. Keep that in mind. In the meantime, here's 10 minutes with singer-songwriter and the winner of ABC's Rising Star, Jesse Kinch. The Toddcast Podcast. And how old were you when you picked up the guitar? 
I was six. Wow, dude, six. that's crazy. And it was a and it was an old uh, an old beat up guitar in the basement. And I I was doing a little exploring, going into uh, the boiler room, which I wasn't supposed to be doing. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I I I saw a guitar and I I, I said, uh, Wow, I, I I think I recognize that because I. Uh, I think I recognized it in my six-year-old mind because we were watching this uh, this uh, this VHS tape of a concert uh, called um, Fleetwood Mac the Dance. And I remember oh, nice. being kind of fa- fascinated by Lindsey Buckingham at the time, and uh, and uh, I just remember, oh, that's the thing Lindsey Buckingham is playing. You know, like I didn't I didn't know his name back then, but I said that's the guy from Fleetwood Mac. But yeah. That's cool, man. That's cool. You know, uh, it, it sounds like we kind of uh, had the same upbringing as, as little kids. My same for me. My house uh, always tons of music, and I didn't gravitate toward the guitar. But uh, you know, I've been in broadcasting for twenty five years. I love it more than anything else. Uh, in fact, I was actually just uh, just asked to host a Q and A with Jacob Dylan from the Wallflowers tomorrow night in, oh, in Whistler. That's um, am I am I not mistaken? That's Bob Dylan's. Sound, right? That's right. Yeah, and it's the uh, the project yes. that he did called Echo in the Canyon, which is all about right. the the Southern California scene in the late uh, mid to late '60s with you know the Mamas and the Papas and the Beach Boys and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and oh well, I I absolutely love what was happening in California in the late '60s. I mean, you had the Mamas and the Papas, the Jefferson Airplane, yeah, and uh, you know there's there's a lot and there's you know what there's some bands that. Have been forgotten. I mean, there was a group called Spanky and Our Gang wow. uh, that came out out of the uh, late '60s, the California scene. They had they had a few great songs. Uh, you had you like obviously the Beach Boys. They were a California band. Mm. Um, there were there were a lot of a lot of. Uh, I mean, if I go into my record collection, I can think of some rare rare music that i have sitting sitting in there you know yeah 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 and and so for you which were the first bands to really grab a hold of you then first i i guess kind of like uh i was obviously infatuated with the beatles i mean it was just like wow there's like nobody like these guys i mean sure when i heard their their songwriting the the, the lyrics i mean i was i was i was a fan of every one of them it was just but for some reason john lennon really his songwriting and his voice really just grabbed my attention at that age. And, um, I mean, I, I remember being in love with songs like Nowhere Man, uh, Drive My Car. Um, Great, yeah, th- awesome. Things like, yeah, things like that. I mean, I loved Jimi Hendrix when I first heard with. I just, when I first heard All Along the Watchtower, I just thought that was a, t- a complete masterpiece. I mean, and I, seven years, six or seven years old, I knew what I just said, wow, this is... right craziest thing i ever heard i mean i i, I love the doors i love the especially the first album with jim morrison's voice man i thought it was uh he had all the passion and uh in artistry that that you could uh you could want you know and uh and uh let me think i mean i, I also loved god i love nirvana and pearl jam I, I remember the first time i heard a song like smells like teen spirit or jeremy it was just uh you know, it was captivating for sure and uh especially the video for I, for jeremy was uh Wow, like that video is awesome. It, it it really gave me the chills the first time I saw it. Totally, I, and same. I, yeah. I actually think, I don't think I actually saw the music video until I was about 13 or 14, but I, I always knew the song. But that, and it's interesting because you see something like that. I mean, Eddie Vedder took that concept of that boy, that poor boy, Jeremy, um, and he, he read the article in the newspaper about what happened, and he wrote a song about it, and... 
it's just crazy how you can, I mean, there are things happening like this more often in this time period. And it's, it's, uh, it's crazy because, I mean, a, a guy like Eddie Vedder was writing a song about that back then, but it you know, kind of could relate to some things that are happening now. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Well, that's why yeah. the, that music like that is timeless, man. It, it is timeless. I mean, and uh, especially, I think that might be what I adore most about the '60s music is that so just all these songs that they, they could have been written a thousand years ago and people would have loved them. You know, I mean, totally. You take a song like uh, I don't know, "Across the Universe" by the Beatles, or or even the simpler ones like. Like, like uh, I want to hold your hand. I mean, it's just, it's timeless. You know, it's, it's, you can't get any better than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was your first concert that you attended? How old were you? <sighs> my first concert, my first, what was the actual first concert I went to? That's, that's a tough one. Okay, I see, I remember when I was, okay, I remember when I was in, I think I might have been 12, I saw... I know I saw John Fogarty and John Cougar Mellencamp at Jones Beach Theater. Nice. Um, but before that, before that, actually, my first real concert was from a, a band called Living Color. Oh, no, okay, the cult of personality. Because they're right, the cult of personality. Great song. Yeah. My, my parents, I, w- I had actually played my guitar at a club called The Downtown, which is in my area. And... Uh, my, I guess my parents were kind of interested in the club, and we, they wanted to take me to some concerts, and they, they saw Living Color was playing uh, in the club near our, near our home called the Downtown. So I never heard of the band, so I, I just, I see these, you know, these four guys get up, man, and they're, you know, doing the cult of personality, and at the time they had just come out with an album called Kaleidos- Kaleidoscope. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, I was totally blown away by these guys. I, I was about 10 years old, 11 years old, and I remember me and my brother were actually sitting on the stage uh, uh, watching them, and I, I, th- I actually can recall like the bass player uh, saying to the drummer, hey, "What's with these kids on the stage, man?" What, what? <laughs> and uh, and uh, but uh, nice. yeah, that, those guys totally blew me away. And I remember yeah, I getting the, the album, the, the Kaleidoscope album, listening to some of those songs, and uh, I actually saw them th- three more times after that. I, and I actually ended up opening up for them. I was their opening act when I was fifteen. Wow, you're kidding! Yeah, that, that's amazing. Yeah, it was their opening act. Yeah. Wow, you were a winner of the Rising Star on ABC. Tell us about that, and like, what what are the nerves like playing something like that when you know that there's millions of people watching? Well, uh, I'll address both. I, I'll address the nerve question first. There were no nerves at all. Really? And uh, wow, uh, no, absolutely not. And uh, I mean, I remember Josh Groban asked me because he was the host of the show. He said. Do you feel nervous? I mean, you know, you're going to be live TV in front of millions of people, and I, I, I remember saying to him, I said something like, "I feel more relaxed than it's live, because I just feel like there can't be anything fake about this. Hmm. I'd feel more nervous if I was in a situation where, you know, it wasn't live and the cameras were telling us, oh, well, you got to act this way, uh, oh, cut, you know, you got to say this better, or, or right, you, you, you need right, to right. yell at this, yell at, yell at this person to make some more drama for TV." Because I think that's what was kind of going on during the American Idol uh, uh, generation or period, rather. I, I remember they were filming the audition rounds, making a big spectacle out of everything, while on Rising Star, we didn't. The audition rounds weren't actually filmed. We auditioned in front of the executive producers. I was called down to Boston. I remember I drove up there. 
to audition in front of the executive producer, and then they flew me to L.A. to perform in front of the ABC executives, and then they just sent me right onto the show. So there was there was no nonsense with, uh, you know, like what I was talking about with filming the auditions. We just right. went straight to live TV. That was it. And uh, and I just and the great thing about it was they gave me totally uh, total creative freedom to choose the songs that I wanted to do. Um, because with a show like that, of course, I was leery, thinking, no, are they going to want me to sing top top forty hits or something like that? I mean, sure. I, I, I didn't. <laughs> I, in two thousand, I, I, to be honest, I, there's not one thing from two thousand fourteen I could even remember, um, oh. and uh, but they kind of just they they fell in love with this song. Uh, the producers they said, "What is it, that song that you have on YouTube? I put a spell on you. The yeah. way you sing that, dude, that's great." They said, you "That's got a great version they, of that." They, yeah, they, they just kept saying, "That's the you got to do that on the first episode of the show," and I, I was actually originally playing to do whipping posts on the first episode, but uh, I remember sitting with the producer, Ken Warwick, um, an uh, uh, older British gentleman who actually was one of the producers on, uh, on uh, American Idol, mm. uh, and, he, and he told me, yeah, that, yeah, that's the song, that people are going to fall in love with you, and then the second episode, you come out and sing Whipping Post, and uh, from, from then on, I mean, it was just nonstop. I mean, I did Seven Nation Army, I did Money by uh, the Beatles, I did... I, and then I, I, I won the show. I, I sang Fortunate Son by Creedence, Clearwater Revival, and I did Love, Rain, or Me by The Who. And um, it was just, it was incredible, the whole experience. And I, I went on with a platform. The platform was to reinvigorate the my generation with the music that I fell in love with, all that artistry that came out in the 60s and 70s and so on, and just to give them a taste of that, because it's it's just missing, and it's not... It's not uh, prominent in today's music scene, uh, well, mainstream scene, rather. Musical guests of the Toddcast podcast are powered by the Railway Stage and Beer Cafe. Check them out at 579 Dunsmere, downtown Vancouver.
And now, stop me if you've heard this before on the Toddcast Podcast. I'd be willing to bet my house that you know actor Kim Coates. Not personally, his work. Whether it's as Tiggs in Sons of Anarchy or Declan in Bad Blood, maybe you know him from recurring roles in Prison Break, Cold Case, CSI Miami. Maybe it's the big screen in Goon, Officer Down, The Last Boy Scout. Kim has been a staple in quality entertainment for decades. And when he called up to be a guest, we talked about how he was starstruck while on set with Bruce Willis, how he never got bitten by the acting bug. We got into comic books, the superpower that he'd want to have. We talked about working with Slipknot's Sean Crayon on Officer Down, how the hero role is a hard one to play. We talked about the difference of stage versus screen acting. And stop me if you've heard this before, Kim talked about how Ron Perlman's version of Hellboy may be the best superhero movie of all time. Of, of all time. And, and Guillermo del Toro, to have the smarts to hire Ron Perlman to play Hellboy. When I saw it for the first time, I smoking the cigar. I mean, and Perlman's like that. He, he's got the biggest, driest sense of humor than anyone I know, I think. He's, he's beyond hysterical, and yet he takes his craft series seriously, and I miss him like, like, like anything. But, yeah, Hellboy, man, Suicide Squad, I haven't seen the movie yet. I, you know, Deadpool was phenomenal, and I'll tell you why, mm-hmm. for me. Um, I can't keep up anymore, uh, Todd. I can't keep up to what Marvel and everyone's doing and who's crossing over and who's fighting who, and Batman's now against Superman. I, I can't keep up, and I don't want to keep up. And I and I and I love the kids who can. Not me. It's not for me. <laughs> but Deadpool did something to me. You know what it was? It was called putting an R in front of it. Stop me if you've heard this before. On the Toddcast podcast is brought to you by ProTech Welding, a CWB certified steel fabrication shop in North Vancouver, and online at ProTechWelding.com.
That band is Spendo and the Skins, and a cool song for those guys called I Want You, and we just announced they'll be headlining next month's Railway podcast show, Toddcast Podcast Volume 29. We're getting up there. December 27th, Spendo and the Skins with Sleep Circle. That's Jake Tuzel now fronting that band, by the way, if you didn't know that, if you haven't heard that yet. And Johnny Rath, fantastic lineup, spreading a little holiday cheer with that one. Man, that's going to be a great show. Eight bucks in advance through myshowpass.com, 10 bucks at the door. Plagia Southern Death Threat, their song Hard Time in Texas, catch the original lineup. What? At the end of this month, this Friday, November 29th, at the Railway Stage and Beer Cafe, Crankshaft and Closer. We'll open up the night. It'll be a hell of a show. Hope you can make this one. Again, tickets eight bucks in advance through myshowpass.com, 10 bucks at the door. You pick it up what we're throwing down here. Show start at nine o'clock. We do go late for these. Speaking of live music, you can find info for all the shows that we're doing, of course, and more. We like to support the scene, whether it's the rickshaw or the Astoria or wherever, wherever the show is, we're, we're going to talk about it. And it's not just the railway that gets love around here. They just get the most because they're the best. Uh, anyway, sorry, I'm going off a rant here. Find info for the shows we do and a bunch more uh, through the indie scene at toddhancock.ca. There's a bunch of great shows always coming up and make sure you get out there and support the lives, uh, live bands, local shows. It's brought to you by Mystic Rhythms Rehearsal Studios. 40 plus years experience in the music industry. Find out more at mysticrhythms.ca. Coming up later on, in the podcast in listen to this mother mother ryan and molly came by actually and so did jasmine they came by the podcast studio a couple of years back but ryan and molly were talking about binge watching cooking shows and how ryan at one point was a chef it's powered by ted did you know that it's powered by tedco rv supplies in langley rv repair and service icbc accredited check 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 you can find them online at tedcorvsuppliesinc.com. First, the second of three Toddcast guests this week is our sporting guest, pro golfer, model, and golf channel host, Blair O'Neill. That is brought to you by Block E Media. Grow your business online. Social media marketing, digital advertising, and a bunch more. Keep up through blockemedia.com. Uh, Blair started golfing at the age of 11, so fairly early. Her dad enrolled her and her brother in a local junior golf clinic. And since that day, she has not put the clubs down. By the age of 13, she started playing for the American Junior Golf Association, had tons of success there, was selected on the U.S. Junior Ryder Cup team in Spain, was the runner-up for the Women's Western Tournament, and a medalist at the AJGA Ping Phoenix Junior Championship. You say that five times fast. By high school, Blair was one of the best junior golfers in Arizona. After high school, she took a full-ride scholarship to Arizona State University. There, she competed on the women's Sun Devil golf team and was crowned a two-time NCAA women's long-drive champ. She can golf. After college, Blair turned pro. Oh, by the way, we should mention that all the while Blair's golfing, she's holding down a successful modeling career. Runway fashion shows, print ads, catalogs, magazine covers, websites, commercial advertisements. In fact, she was named one of the hottest 50 athletes of all time, all time, by Sports Illustrated. One of the top 10 fit golfers by Golf Channel. One of the hottest golfers by Golf Digest. And one of the 18 
random number, one of the 18 beautiful women in golf by Golf Magazine. The Golf Channel asked her to compete in their reality TV show, Big Break. And during the summer of 2009, Blair was the runner-up of their PEI show. The next year, she competed and won the event in the Dominican Republic. In 2012, Blair began her first season on the LPGA Symmetra Tour. She played there through 2014. 2015 saw Blair give up competitive golf on a full-time basis and transition over to sports media, currently with the Golf Channel. She's a host and soon-to-be new mom, by the way. Earlier this month, she posted a video where she was putting and the ball read baby April, 2020. So that's big news in her world. The full conversation is definitely worth hearing. Search it out through Toddcast podcast again on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud till you hear that here's 10 minutes with pro golfer model and golf channel host Blair O'Neill. The Toddcast Podcast. I'm curious, have you always had aspirations to host a show like you do with the, with the Golf Channel hosting? Is there a broadcasting bug in you? <laughs> well, you know, I majored in communications and minor sociology. And growing up, my main goal, I started playing golf when I was 11. And my one and only goal in life was to play professional golf. So right. I got a scholarship to ASU. I did that, graduated, turned professional, started playing. But then I also started modeling at the same time after I graduated to help pay for my golf expenses. So mm. my main goal was always to play professional golf. Um, once I was in my career and then I got in, asked to compete on Big Break uh, with Golf Channel, uh, I did the first one was Big Break Prince Edward Island. I finished runner-up. And then the next year I got asked again, and that was Big Break Dominican Republic, and I won that one. I created a great uh, relationship with Golf Channel, and I had done some you know, commercials and some small acting things and um, projects like that. But I knew that eventually one day I would definitely could definitely see myself working with Golf Channel or something in media or uh, sports television. So, yes, it's kind of a goal that I always had in the back of my head that at one point in my career I would want to do that. I just didn't know when and when I would be ready to stop playing and, and kind of move, you know, kind of shift in my career. Right. No, that's awesome. And how old were you when you realized your potential? Oh, when I started, <laughs> right when I started. No way, really? It's funny like immediately? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's funny because I look back and I think when I started playing golf at 11, I remember my uncle tells a story. He said one time we were playing and I was 11 years old and I just started and he said to me, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to play golf on the LPGA Tour. <laughs> and it's just interesting to me because I have younger brothers and sisters and I look back at that age and once I started playing, I just loved it. I, I did dance and all different types of dance and ballet and cheer before I started golf. And my dad put me into a golf clinic and right when I started, I just... When I did hit the ball well, I hit it really good, so that like excited me, and um, mm -hmm. it made me really interested in the game, and I love the competitive aspect of it. So once I started, I was literally playing every day. I mean, my parents would drop me off at the you know public golf course after school, and I would be there till after dark. It was a you know a lit range, and I would sometimes go play golf before I was a total golf nerd. Play golf before school. Wow. So I was pretty, I was all about it, but that's kind of the person I am. I'm really like all or nothing is how I operate. I'm pretty extreme. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what do you remember about your first pro round of golf? Is it, does anything stand out? Oh gosh. Um, I would say scared. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I tell you what, 
I remember my very first, this is a funny story, actually, I haven't never told uh, media or anyone, but my very first uh, junior golf tournament. So I started playing, my dad put me into lessons, I was practicing, you know, I got this junior set of clubs, and I went out to my very first uh, Junior Golf Association of Arizona golf tournament, and I played the first round, and it was, at that time, it was only nine holes, I was, I think, uh, I started 11, so I was probably, oh, maybe almost 12 years old, or maybe 12, probably almost 12, and um, my dad picked me up from the golf course, and I was just out on the range, and I was just bawling, crying, it was, felt like, the worst day of my life, and um, I had told him I had a horrible time out there, I didn't play well, the girls were making fun of me, because I didn't have the latest and greatest, fanciest golf clubs, I had, I don't even know how to make them anymore, I had a set of Playmate irons, and just, who knows what kind of golf bag it was, but clearly I guess it wasn't up to par with what all these other girls had out there. So right. <laughs> right. I guess I got made fun of because of what you know the equipment I had and I, my feelings were just so hurt. I went home that day and I remember going to bed literally crying. Like I was just I felt like it was the worst thing ever. Well, my dad did not tell me that this was a two day tournament. So the next morning he wakes me up really early. And I'm in bed, and he says, you got to go back. I'm like, no, it was only one day. He says, no, it's two. He's like, you can't quit now. You're not, you can't start something. If you start something, you have to finish it. You cannot stop in the middle of it. And I tell you what, I did not want to get up and go. That was, oh, it felt like the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I look back at that point now, and I think to myself, if I wouldn't have gotten out of bed, and if my dad wouldn't have made me, because trust me, I did not want to get up and go back that day and face those girls and play more golf, um, I would never be where I am today. So mm-hmm. since then, I've really always had that mindset, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Blair, obviously, you're constantly working out for sport uh, and to be a model, eating right and, and being disciplined with your training and stuff. What's your cheat food? Oh, my cheat food? Uh, I love Mexican food. I love pizza. I like a Dunkin' Donut, chocolate frosted <laughs> donut. <laughs> Not gonna lie, oh <laughs> that's probably gosh. really my cheat food because those are just oh my gosh, so good. <laughs> the next brand ambassador for Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> oh my gosh, I would I could do that. And do you get as much out of modeling as you do out of golf? You know what? They're very different, but both of my careers have really helped one another. Mm. Um, you know, when I first started out modeling, right when I graduated college, I booked my first job, and it was a calendar with Golf Digest. We shot it in Hawaii, and it was, you know, for an Asian calendar, really. And that um, was my first modeling job. And so I did that. I was like, oh, that was fun. Like, I really enjoyed that. That was cool. And I made some good money, and I could take that money. And, you know, I was just fresh out of college. So mm-hmm. I could take that money and put that towards my uh, entry fees and car rental and flights and, you know, all these expenses I had. So yeah. um, it was something that I could, you know, I think both of them are can be um, intense and... Um, <laughs> No, you're either like, you're either in or you're not in, like you either make it or you don't make it. Yeah. 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 I would love to get outside of golf, outside of modeling and of course what you're known for. Uh, And I'm curious, what was the music in the Blair household as a kid growing up? Like which bands are your parents playing and exposing you to? Oh, okay. So this is so funny. So uh, my dad, he always listened to like Phil Collins. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And it's funny because actually my friends and I, he's still calling to coming to Arizona. I live in Arizona yeah. and he's coming here for a concert in a couple of months. And we bought tickets like a few months ago to go see him. So that's kind of wild only because I grew up listening to him when I was younger. Yeah, totally. It's, you know, this going to be an amazing show. What was your first concert? My first concert, my first concert was, I want to say it was Cher. Oh, wow. Was it? Yeah, and that's because my my mom, my stepmom, listened to her all of the time. Right, well, that had to be good. That so had to yeah, set the so bar. I was very influenced by my parents, right? <laughs> of course, of course. And I was very young. <laughs> yeah, uh, Blair, what are your thoughts on legalized marijuana? That just came to Canada last. Uh, what is it, October? I think last year. Oh, did it? Yeah. I didn't even know that. Um, yeah. So I think. I mean, obviously, I think in the medical field, there's a lot of. Um, benefits from it um for a lo- sorry my dog is barking at me mm. <laughs> <laughs> i think there are uh, a lot of benefits for a lot of people um in the medical field um i think that if you use it and you know you don't have an addiction or a problem to it i think that's the only obviously thing where it can you know could be a problem but i mean I feel like people are finding, people anyways, if it was legalized or not, were finding out ways how to use it and get their hands on it anyways. So oh, totally, 100%. It's kind of like, as long as people have self-control, then it is what it is. But I do think there are a lot of instances where it is uh, very helpful to, for some people. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you think of the UFC fighters and the Bellator fighters and stuff. They use the CBD oil and they recover their body faster from the crap kicking they took. Oh, yeah, and CBD oil. I mean, I take CBD oil. And, oh, do you really? Um, mm-hmm. Mm. And it's it's great. And even, you know, there's even some, uh, you know, like <clears throat> lotions or creams that have CBD in them that can help. You know, I'll use that, like, on my lower back you know, for golf or workouts or things like that. So there's many benefits of it. I mean, you could put CBD yeah. in your coffee. I mean, in your shake. <laughs> sure could. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of things you could do with it, but I think it's good. Yeah. <laughs> Let me hit you with an oddball question, and, and thank you again, Blair, uh-huh. for, for doing this today. <laughs> do you think that aliens have visited Earth? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't put it past them, but... I guess I don't think about it too much. I mean, if they are, they are. What can yeah. we do about it? I don't know that but, a lot uh, of people think about it, but uh, yeah, <laughs> sure is weird to think about it. Like there, there's a lot of people that, I mean, I've probably had 500 guests over the last five years, and I bet you at uh-huh. least half believe that not only have they visited Earth, but they actually live among us. Oh my goodness. Think about that. I don't know. I mean, think about all the, the shows and movies that you watch where that, you know, you see that that is a possibility. So I guess anything's possible. It could be. I mean, as long as they're not bothering us or hurting us, then I guess it's all right. (laughs) Sporting guests of the Toddcast podcast are brought to you by Block E-Media Inc. Digital marketing plans and solutions. Done for you and done with you. Online at blockemedia.com.
now, listen to this on the Toddcast Podcast. Does the band name Mother ring any bells for you? That was the original name of Mother Mother. In 2005, they released their debut as Mother, later changing to Mother Mother, and then re-releasing that same album on Last Gang Records in 2007. They're a Vancouver-based indie rock band who have carved out a super loyal following over the years, even getting Canadian radio on board supporting their hard work. And believe me, that in itself is a feat. Their latest album, their seventh, came out a year ago, November 2018, had Ryan Molly and Jasmine stopped by the studio a couple years back now. Great to hang out with them, a nice group of people. We talked about being in a band with your sibling. Whether that's a leg up on the competition, they shared some of the band's highlights from over the years. They talked about how social media has affected the band. Ryan shared a humorous Joe Santiago of the Pixies story. We talked about the music that was in their house as a kid growing up. And Ryan and Molly talked about the shows that they were binge watching at the time and how Ryan at one point was a chef. Listen to this. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, and I do watch a lot of Netflix. I do. I like Chef's Table. Yeah, great That show. series was, yeah, I, yeah very inspiring. It, yeah. I, I was moved to tears by a couple of those chefs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, if I wasn't in uh, broadcasting or podcasting, radio or whatever, I would be a chef, hands, hands down. I, I love it. I was a chef. Really? Yeah, for like 12 years. No shit. Yeah, maybe We're, Chef is a little ostentatious of a but term cook a line cook <laughs> uh, cooked yeah some jobs were more chefy like yeah 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 but i, I love cooking it, it's very yeah. artistic it's, and it's very for me it's very relaxing sure yeah you know yeah. the the tastes and textures and everything else like mm-hmm. you know, it's almost an unlimited uh palette yeah and you can really imbue your own individuality into how you cook Listen to this on the Toddcast podcast is brought to you by Tedco RV Supplies in Langley, an ICBC-approved repair shop. Find them online at tedcorvsuppliesinc.com.
That band is Crankshaft, and their song is Dark Side. We have them playing a podcast show at the end of the month, as always, at the Railway Stage and Beer Cafe, downtown Vancouver. That's where you'll see all podcast shows. So this Friday, November 29th, it's our Friday Nights, Volume 28, with the original lineup of Southern Death Threat. Scratching my head still, like, how did I manage to pull this one off? Crankshaft and Closer. That is going to be one wild night, and hopefully you can make it down for that. Plagiatuk, and that was their song called Never Enough For You. We have their singer, Slash's bassist, he of Age of Electric, Todd Kearns, uh, December 12th, is doing the next Cheap Thrills, number 17. They are every three months. Special shows, these ones, acoustic, intimate. There's a Q&A, of course, I'm hosting uh, from stage. But you get to ask questions as well. Uh, the Railway has been stepping up large their game consistently over the last couple of years. We have some killer shows planned for you in 2020. Believe me, amazing stuff. Okay, enough bragging or humble bragging or whatever the hell it is. Todd's Trolls is coming up in just a bit. The stupid, the mean, the hurtful, but really it's the funny things that people say to what you post, what you see online. It's everywhere. This week, Beck, Frozen 2, and Women's Handball World Championships share that spotlight. It's brought to you by our good buddies at Good Times Gin and Tonics, putting the GTs back in the G&T. Check them out at goodtimesdrinks.com. Of course, they're online as well at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. They're all over it. Uh, Trolls is coming up. First, our final guest of episode 209. This week's entertainment guest is executive chef and top chef finalist Joe Sasto. That's brought to you by Pete's Meat in Kitsilano, Vancouver. Great butcher shop. Awesome little deli there as well. Quality, natural, sustainable. Hashtag all those. Vancouver's best butcher shop by a landslide. Plus, Pete's a great guy as well. Find them through 12th and Arbutus, again, in Kitsilano, Vancouver. Like anyone who excels at their profession, Chef Joe dove headfirst into his industry, mentoring in Bay Area restaurants. Surprisingly, he didn't take the traditional path of the culinary schools, instead made his own way after earning his bachelor's degree in 2010. Then he opened up a restaurant as a line cook in California. Chef Joe upped his game at Quince, where under Chef Michael Tusk, he spent three years at a three Michelin-starred restaurant. People literally book a vacation around restaurants like this. Not even kidding you. Google search Michelin three-star restaurants, and look at what they say about these places. It's incredible. There, he managed the handmade pasta program, and when you hear the conversation with him, you'll, you'll hear why. Next up was becoming executive sous chef at Lazy Bear, and let's not forget about that top three finish on Bravo TV's Top Chef Season 15. The kid can cook, and he tells great stories as well. The full talk is posted at our iTunes podcast page at Spotify, SoundCloud as well. Search it out through Toddcast Podcast. Till then, here's 10 minutes with executive chef and top chef finalist, Joe Sasto. The Toddcast Podcast. Surely it, it, it must go back to being a kid, cooking with mom. That's exactly right. Um, I mean... I know, I remember, like, as a kid, like, young, young kid, playing in, like, the basement, wanting, like, we would, I would pretend to be, like, a hotel owner or, like, a hotel, like, recept, 
receptionist, I yeah. guess, or like a front desk person. Sure. And like my parents would come in and I would like, I just, I think the whole idea of hospitality and being in the hospitality industry was something I like was just drawn to at a very young age. And that whole like idea of taking care of people and bringing them in and embracing them was something that I was just like kind of drawn to. Mm-hmm. And then it's also, I think then my mom shaped my direction because food became the whole focal point of family and life growing up. I mean, she tried her best to cook almost every meal, bring the family together. I mean, this was before everybody had cell phones, so it was like, turn off the TV, <laughs> everybody around the, t- uh, around the table, and, you know, we have dinner. Even if it's like something she picked up from the store and didn't cook herself, it was like food was that like, gathering place. So I like, saw how important and powerful food can be. Mm-hmm. And then it was just kind of cooking alongside of her uh, that I think drew me to that. And, you know, I wasn't a very, I guess, athletic kid, you could say. So I wasn't like I always wanted to go outside and play sports or run around. I was more drawn to like watching Food Network and looking through my mom's cookbooks and things like that. So I think it was very early on that I was drawn to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Little did I know I would be in the position I am in now. (laughs) Right. And, Fast forward. And what was she making that you loved? Any meals come to mind? I loved her lasagna. I think that was her like signature thing. Like she, whenever she would make it, she'd end up having to make like three or four pans of it. Yeah. Because like <laughs> my sisters would want a pan, the neighbors would want a pan. Like everybody would devour one. We'd eat it for lunch, and then like we'd have the second pan for dinner. Yeah. And it was just like that was I think like one of the most memorable things she made. And that was like the Italian side of it. And then she was also a big crepe person because she was French and she learned how to cook Italian food from okay. my father's mother. Yeah. So she married into an Italian family and had to learn like all these Italian dishes and lasagna and gravy being one of them. But when my friends would spend the night or my brother's friends would spend the night, it was always Saturday morning, like a crepe buffet. She'd like pull out all the stops, like the chocolate sauce, fruits, sugars, nice. uh, lemons, everything, syrup, whipped cream, all like spread out on the table. Yeah. And just a giant never ending stack of like warm, steamy crepes that we would like fill. And that was like, everybody wanted to stay at Sasso's house because then they got crepes Saturday morning. <laughs> I love it, man. It sounds like we had a, a fairly similar upbringing. I'm, I'm of the same mind. I mean, if I wasn't broadcasting, I definitely would have, you know, traveled down the executive chef uh, like you have. Uh, and still today, probably have a couple kids. I have a six year old and a nine year old and we have the same sort of mentality as like, you know, you and I did growing up where it was like, even like you said, even if it was like ordering sushi in, you're still sitting at the mm-hmm. table together as a family. There's something about, you know, food and how it, um, how it really can connect with people. Yeah. It's one of those things that I think, uh, everybody can relate to because at some point or another, they've shared a special meal around the table. So it has that very powerful nostalgic, uh, feeling to it that really everybody can relate to no matter how they grew up or what walk of life they're in. Uh, it's something very special and unique. Yeah, totally. And, and this might be an impossible question for you to answer, but what is your first food memory? Ooh, I don't know if I've ever been asked that before. Hmm. My first food memory. I'd have to like think back on that. 
Like you I know, said, it might be an impossible uh, question. But. Yeah, that might be an impossible one because, I mean, I just have so many food memories. And, like, when you think back, you, it's hard to, like, remember the actual, like, age you were or mm. what it is. You know, the cool thing I like you about know, uh, food, food, Joe, is, like, like music certain foods will make you think of, you know, maybe being four or five years old or 10 years old or, you know what I mean? Like there's not many things that, that have that sensory response. Uh, music and food, uh, of course, are, are like that. I think it's one of those because they use all of the senses when you're playing it or creating it. Mm-hmm. You're, it's a touch, hear, uh, feel, like everything kind of, comes into effect so really it's like a full sensory experience uh with music and with food Mm -hmm. personally what's what's your comfort food my comfort food like no no hesitation would be nachos (laughs) love it i feel like i have to i eat nachos like once a week maybe yeah. Otherwise, I like start feeling like withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> like I'm just like a nacho fanatic. That's awesome. Talk about the pressures of working in a three Michelin starred restaurant. It's unlike anything. I think you can really even understand unless you're doing it. I mean, I'm not familiar with other industries and like the pressures of working in an office or in a sales position or on radio. Um, so maybe there are similarities, but it's kind of the thing where almost band of brothers, like you're all in it together and the, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So you're constantly pushing each other to be better. And that's almost the best environment because then you're holding the guy next to you to the same standards. And if someone's starting to slip, you need to rely on the rest of the team to motivate them and to put the pressure on them to do better and to hold those same standards because everyone that is coming to eat there, sure you're cooking there every day, but for the guest, this is a special meal for them. It may be the one time they're ever going to eat at a three Michelin star restaurant, or they've spent saved up six months of paychecks to get to come eat there. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure they have the best possible experience. Even if you're having a bad day in the kitchen, they don't need to know that and they don't, they shouldn't need to feel that they want to have just as good of a time as your best day and your best service. So I think that's where a lot of the pressure comes from is like, you want to give the guest that same high standard, no matter what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's an incredible amount of pressure just thinking about the guest's perspective, let alone like the way the chef is looking at you or standing over you and, there's just a whole lot of layers to it. It's almost like you can't fail. You can't. And if you do, you don't let anyone know. You pretend you're not. And that kind of keeps you going wow. in a weird, I guess, twisted way. If something goes wrong, it's not that it went wrong, but it's how you recover from it. Mm-hmm. That really kind of defines the best cooks in that environment. Is how quickly you can create a solution instead of just having the the failure. Right. Well, tell us about Top Chef now. What's what's that process like? Uh, becoming a contestant and and all and all that. So I I mean coming becoming a contestant. I think everyone has a different origin story to it. Like I know some of the people that I had done it with. Uh, they had applied 
five or six times, sent in videos, done the whole gambit of interviews, and hadn't gotten selected. And it was just a long, grueling selection process. Uh, my own personal experience, I was cooking at Lazy Bear at the time, which is a very open kitchen, almost like a fine dining dinner party. It was two Michelin stars, and a group of casting producers were there for dinner and had interacted with me and saw me, and the next day had reached out asking if I would be interested in interviewing for the show. Oh, nice. And I had never seen Top Chef before. I had just heard of it as the show on Bravo. I was knew it, but I had never seen it. And I kind of like just thought it was a bunch of chefs living in a house like filled with drama. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, after doing it, I couldn't have been more wrong. Right. But I, I told them no. Really? I was like, no, I'm good. Like, no thanks. And they were very persistent. They had called me back about three or four times. And then it was actually my girlfriend that had convinced me, you know, everything happens for a reason. Maybe this is the right path for us. Uh, why don't you just give them a shot, do the interviews, and see what happens? And hmm. kind of went down that path. The next thing I knew, I was in Colorado uh, getting ready to compete. And how nerve-wracking is that in comparison to what you were used to? It's two different kinds of nerve-wracking. Because in like those high, high-end kitchens, no one really knows if they have a bad dish no one really knows who cooked it. There's not necessarily a face to it. Mm-hmm. Where you're on national te- or international television, right? And if you do something silly or make a mistake or say something wrong, everyone's going to know it was you that did it. So it's a different kind of pressure. Entertainment guests of the Toddcast podcast are powered by Pete's Meat, Butchery Shop and Deli, 2817 Arbutus, Kitsilano, Vancouver, and online at Pete's-Meat.com. Cold 
Powered by Milano Coffee, bringing you the finest espresso and coffee concepts in the world. Online at milanocoffee.ca. A look at this week's keyboard warriors, Todd's Trolls, on the Toddcast Podcast. The chirping is absolutely relentless online. It doesn't matter what it is. The trolls are out in full force, ready to jump all over your every word. No one and nothing is safe. Not even multi-Grammy Award winner Beck. His new album just came out a few days ago. It's called Hyperspace. Beck peaked at Loser. Kind of appropriate, don't you think? Are there one or two R's in Irrelevant? I want to get this tweet right. The chances of this album being any good are about as likely as Epstein killing himself. Did you make it to the theaters this past weekend? Frozen 2 is now out this time around. Why was Elsa born with magical powers? She looks for answers in an enchanted forest. Anna, Kristoff, Olaf, and Sven are back as well. Proving that not everything Disney does is worth watching. Watching the trailer was similar to having brain freeze. Frozen 2. Because we can't think of anything original. And the Women's Handball World Championships in Japan starts up in a few days. November 30th. That runs through December 15th. Women's Handball World Championships? Yeah, not gonna watch that. Hello, Guinness Records? Hi, I think I just found the world's worst excuse for a sporting championship. People aren't seriously gonna sit down to watch handball, are they? What, did they lose a bet or something? Todd's Trolls on the Toddcast podcast is brought to you by Good Times Gin and Tonics, putting the GTs back in the GNT. Check out goodtimesdrinks.com.
their closer and a relatively new song for them. It's called Winter Green. Oddly, closer are opening the night this Friday for the next podcast show, Friday, November 29th at the Railway Stage and Beer Cafe. Toddcast Podcast Friday Nights, Volume 28, with the original lineup of Southern Death Threat. You are hearing this correctly. Again, this Friday, Crankshaft, Closer, and the original lineup of Southern Death Threat. Tickets are 8 bucks in advance through myshowpass.com. Snooze, wait for the door. It's still cheap. It's 10 bucks at the door. You heard Best Night Ever, and their song was called Writing on the Wall. And I can't let the cat out of the bag just yet. I wish I could. But we have something very special planned with their singer, Patrick Gavigan, in the new year. I think we're going to be announcing those details within a couple, two, three months from now. And no, it's not a cheap thrills, something similar, but that's all I'm going to give you at this point. Looking forward to next week, December 3rd's podcast, Lagwagon singer Joey Cape is a guest. I think people who have a favorite superhero might be just getting a little too into it. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds kind of uncool, but... Uh, I mean, I guess if I had to pick, I, I tough call, man. Holy crap! How do you pick that? I know it's impossible. It's impossible because there's different eras in your life. Totally. You know what I mean? And when you were a little kid, it was probably Batman or something. Or, or Spider-Man you know, with the you know the seventies uh, animated series was freaking amazing. Exactly. Yeah, and then everything evolved and evolved, and and then all those Marvel movies started getting so incredible. And of course, you're like, yeah fucking iron man iron man it's badass that first like, iron man was know. like fucking set the bar much yeah exactly had a good talk with joey cape hear that next week uh, joining him is dallas cowboys defensive tackle christian covington yes christian is from vancouver and that's the tie there and pro poker player and former pro hockey player greg mueller we're bringing heat what a great week of course i wanted to thank this week's guests as well jesse kinch thank you for taking some time to join us apologies it's taken some a few months in fact i think to get your appearance scheduled in pro golfer golf channel host blair o'neill thank you so much for sharing like you do on social media you are a true beauty and congratulations on the upcoming baby that's fantastic news and top chef finalist and executive chef joe sasto thank you man for jumping on the podcast as well had a great chat hopefully uh you'll be coming through vancouver we can have a little bit of a hang one of these days Uh, crack back a beer grab a bite let's work that podcast credit card the next time you're rolling through vancouver and i think that's going to do it for episode 209 creeping up there Uh, my name is todd hancock thank you so much for listening please tell your friends if you like what you heard please tell me otherwise and i'll fire everybody on staff except for me which is not a lot of people subscribe on itunes uh, spotify soundcloud comment and rate the podcast as mentioned prior it helps with the search results on search engines and stuff so uh, search it out again through toddcast podcast Huge thanks to all of our wonderful sponsors. We straight up couldn't do it without their support. You can find links to all sponsor websites at toddhancock.ca, the homepage. And if you want to sponsor the podcast, you know you can for as little as 10 bucks a day, right? Contact info at the homepage. Maybe we'll hang soon and see what's up. Till next week, don't be an asshole because nobody wants to be around that. Nobody. Have fun, play hard, and most of all, believe in yourself. The Toddcast Podcast. Keep in touch with Todd through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and bookmark ToddHancock.ca.